Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. This is the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, the West Lane County Commissioner here in beautiful Lane County, Oregon. And it's another beautiful fall day in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, nice dry day. I actually had the opportunity to get a few hours outside today, and I spent it stacking firewood. So. I'm tired, so if I start rambling, you know why. You know what they say about firewood, don't you? That's the only fuel that heats you twice. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, old joke. Uh, so uh, today is a free-for-all day, but it's also, uh, you know, I had to change days of the broadcast because I, I attended the uh, Looking Glass annual meeting uh, yesterday. And Looking Glass is a great nonprofit organization here in the state of Oregon and also mostly in Lane County that provides um, services to at-risk youth. Um, and they've actually gotten into young adults a little bit too. Quite a bit of mental health services some uh, and quite a bit of emergency services for those that have already run away or on the street. But some preventive services and some, some uh, rescue type services uh, but they are the only nationally certified runaway and homeless youth provider in the state of Oregon. And uh, it's nice to be uh, a longtime supporter of theirs. And, and uh, they're a great organization doing a good job for our, our um, at-risk youth here in Oregon and especially in Lane County. Um, so that's why I had to switch days of the show. But uh, it is a free-for-all day, so you can get in on the conversation by calling 646-721-9887, and just press 1 if you want to join in on the conversation. But, uh, and you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And I know it's a free-for-all show, but I'm going to kind of go election central here for a little while because this is the last show before uh, next Tuesday when we will elect a new president of the United States. And I've kind of talked a little bit on and off about the presidential election here and there and a a little bit about state elections and Measure 97. I've had had a a guest on that was running for our state house here in, in Oregon. But I haven't really kind of stopped and kind of did you know, Jay's analysis of the ballot, my recommendations, why I I voted the way I voted or anything like that. So I thought maybe I'd take a few minutes and, and, and talk about this election coming up. And I think probably what was interesting, I also missed last week's show because I was actually took my first vacation in over a year and a half with my wife and we were out of the country in Costa Rica and Panama. And whenever somebody asked me about the election, um, my most common statement back to him was, yeah, the one thing about this election is somebody's going to win it, um, unfortunately. And, and, and that's kind of been my feeling for a long time. I, I, ever since the primaries ended and I saw what our choices were, um, I've been really disappointed in those choices that are available to Americans. Hmm. Got an F-16 flying over my house right now. But uh, <laughs> so uh, if you hear a little bit of noise in the background, military jets aren't always as quiet as uh, the civilian ones. Uh, so I was pretty disappointed. And I was even disappointed in, the, in who the libertarians chose. Because, you know, although Gary Johnson's been a good, you know, was a pretty good governor down in New Mexico. His stated positions and his running mate stated positions don't match up with the libertarian principles very well at times. And it's like, gosh, guys, if you're going to put a, you know, you, here's your opportunity in year when a lot of people aren't happy with the, the two major parties. And you guys put forward a couple of ex-governors that are promoting ideas that aren't within the core libertarian principles at times. Um, you know, Gary 
Johnson has a tendency to go off the range when it comes to health care and a few other things. His running mate tends to be off the reservation on Second Amendment rights uh, and gun control uh, as far as the libertarian principles go. So, it, it, you know, I couldn't even turn to the libertarians and go, wow, those guys have put somebody up that's a true, truly well-spoken, smart libertarian, and I'm willing to, to jump in there and support the libertarian cause, which is really kind of my 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 core principle leans libertarian. Um, so it's kind of like, so I don't have a libertarian candidate. Uh, you know, most of the other third parties, especially the, the, the late entry from the uh, neoconservatives to try and derail Trump, uh, they're kind of not really strong candidates either. Um, so you're, you're left going back to the two major party candidates as the only two possibilities to win this election, uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I was telling Robin off air, um, I've got a long history with Donald Trump. And it's one of the reasons why I've been extremely reluctant to support him and why I did not support him in the primary is that uh, my wife worked for an advertising firm, small firm in Baltimore called Charles Street Graphics, that Donald Trump was one of their major uh, major uh, customers. And it was back when he had the casino and Trump Plaza and, and was promoting all sorts of uh, prize fights and everything else. And he was the kind of client that they would supply him all the finished products for his review two weeks before deadline and when it was needed. And he would uh, sit on them for that for uh, almost the entire time, come back on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock and say, you have to change this and it has to be changed before Monday morning and force people to work all weekend uh, to get changes done. Uh, you know, he was the kind of guy that, that, you know, his failure to get to something was an emergency on your part. <laughs> you know, and, and then on top of how bad and nasty of a guy he was to deal with. I mean, he was, he was bossy to people, uh, derogatory, nasty customer. Uh, that they all made fun of. They had dartboards with his face on it uh, around the office. He ended up stiffing that firm for hundreds of thousands of dollars in accounts receivable when he declared bankruptcy with his Taj Mahal and his casinos. So, you know, small business hurt badly. You know, he makes it back to being a billionaire. Did he ever come back and make Charles Street graphics whole again? No siree. The guy has absolutely no core principles and no ethics when it comes to business. And it's really hard to think of that person sitting in the Oval Office as the commander in chief of our country. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, locker room talk, all that stuff, that's not what bothers me about Donald Trump. And you kind of see his lack of core principles and how he swung between the parties and how he can't even stay focused on an issue and, and solid on an issue, like when he was initially asked about health care and said he actually liked the idea of single-payer plans, and now he's backed away from that once he realized it was kind of a uh-oh thing to say uh, as a Republican candidate. Um, it's because he doesn't have this driving set of core principles that, that his policies, once he's in office, would spring from. They're going to spring from whatever's in Donald's head that day or whoever talked to him last, yeah, which is, you know, almost what Franklin Roosevelt was like during the uh, Great Recession, the Great Depression. And if you read books on, on um, Roosevelt's economic policies, he tended to have his favorite economic advisor of the, of the day, and his policies kept swinging. And one of the reasons the Depression went on so long was that business hates uncertainty. And his policies would swing wildly from one one sort of policy to another based on which set of advisors were in favor with him at that time. And I, I, I fear that Trump will be a very similar president in, in that he'll swing wildly. All that said, then you've got Hillary Clinton. And I've been watching, you know, the Clintons for a long time. Yeah, I've, I've you know, I'm the son of a CBS News reporter, grew up on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. 
I've shaken hands with presidents um, at, at the press picnic uh, at the White House. Uh, I remember shaking hands with uh, President Johnson and thinking he was a giant. And of course, as a seven-year-old, um, that six-foot-five man that he was looked like a giant to me. Um, so I pay attention to politics, and I've been paying attention for a long, long time. And I've followed, um, you know, the Clintons through their presidency uh, and off years and back into it again. And you know, while she's in the Senate, and I have never seen a person that has less ethics than Donald Trump other than Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I, I I mean, Donald probably is just more of it, what's in it for me somewhat. It's not necessarily law unlawful and doesn't try and break the law. Um, he just, he uses the system, you know, legally. He hasn't gone outside the law. I mean, bankruptcy is a perfectly legitimate business tool. Uh, you do hurt people when you when you use bankruptcy as a legitimate business tool, um, but Hillary has intentionally worked outside the law, and it's hard not to look at her career and not see that. Uh, some of her her uh, work to hold her husband's political career in place while he was um, basically taking advantage of women. Uh, it was incredible how she helped destroy some of the victims of Bill Clinton's uh, sexual um, peccadillos. Uh, you know, and it just amazes me how she defended her, her husband through the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. Any other CEO in America at that time that had sex with somebody that he had authority over would have been forced into resignation by their board of directors almost immediately. Yet Bill Clinton survived having had sexual relationships with somebody that he had direct authority above, ultimate authority. Uh, you, it's you know same reason why you know an officer gets ousted out of out of the service for um, having a relationship with an enlisted person. He should have been gone. But Hillary supported him, backed him up helped him fight off all his accusations when he was governor of Arkansas. Then she got carpet bags up to New York, gets herself elected as their junior senator, has absolutely no accomplishments as a junior senator. There wasn't one major piece of legislation she had her name on. Uh, runs for president, gets stomped by somebody that has almost less, has far less, you know, at least, credentials as a politician than she does as the junior senator from Illinois uh, and gets stomped in the primaries, ends up being his secretary of state, and then as secretary of state proceeds to completely um, mess up our foreign policy. And I don't know if people remember the reset button that, you know, was, that was supposed to be this big reset of relationships with Russia after, you know, George Bush and, and had kind of gotten, you know, was, you know, getting a little hardcore with Putin and all that stuff, that how the Obama administration and Hillary are going to reset the relationship with Russia and be friends again. And she brought that reset button like they used to use for, uh, uh, what was it, the Office Max commercials or Staples? I can't remember which office... Uh, supply store had that reset button. Unfortunately, though, Hillary's State Department was so incompetent that when they translated reset into Russian and put it on the button, it actually read in Russian overcharge. <laughs> so the whole effort to, to, quote, reset relationships with Putin turned out to just create a laughing stock on the Russian side where they understood at that point on that America was going to take a very weak stance toward them, which led to the, the takeover of Crimea, the uh, bullying of Ukraine, the downing of the airliner there, and, you know, the, the Russian advances and help of, of uh, Assad in Syria, and uh, just all sorts of problems. And then on top of that, she basically uh, was part of cozying up and 
and promoting the Arab Spring. And almost anyone that had any sense about foreign policy understood the Arab Spring was going to be a disaster in the long run because it would lead to a power vacuum. And the only people left powerful enough after the Arab Spring were going to be the um, the extreme side of of the Muslim out in that area of the world. And that's basically what took over Egypt for a while, what took over in Libya and Tunisia and, um, you know, the, the rebels in Syria, or most of them were driven, and it led to the creation of ISIS. And um, it was just a, a horrible move uh, on 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 the State Department's part to kind of um, embrace and and promote the Arab Spring as some great democratic movement, you know, that ended up raping a U.S. Um, television correspondent on the streets of Cairo uh, because she dared to actually be alone in public uh, shortly after the fall of, of the um, government in Egypt. So, you know, I don't know what her accomplishments were, but then it gets into Hillary's ethics and all. Meanwhile, while she's screwing up our foreign policy, Hillary Clinton has the Clinton Foundation they started that she refused to place in a blind trust or walk away from. And at the same time, her husband's running around giving speeches. Um, so here's, you know, Hillary granting access, you know, to FOBs, and according to some of the emails that have been leaked and all that, which stood for Friends of Bill, um, was their code for Friends of Bill, those folks that gave large enough donations or hired Bill or Hillary to give a $250,000 20-minute speech got meetings with the Secretary of State or somebody high up in the State Department to work on whatever issue they wanted worked on. Um, Definitely sounds like pay for play to me. Um, and it turns out that we've learned just in the last 24 hours that the email um, uh, investigation by the FBI that we know that got reopened a couple days ago um, is now being merged with an existing investigation that no one really knew what was going on, which is the FBI's investigation of the Clinton Foundation. Uh, which apparently is much more mature even than the email investigations are. But apparently uh, some of the emails that were found on um, on Uva Abedin's husband's uh, um, laptop have a lot of information about the foundation on them. So uh, it's going to be pretty interesting. You know, here we've got somebody that could be our next president of the United States that's currently under two FBI investigations, one for breaking, it's actually been shown she's broken um, security protocol with her, with her private email server, which they now say has a 99% possibility that it was actually breached by five different foreign governments. So anyone that, you know, her claim that no one, you know, there's no evidence that they breached her server, the, the, the FBI has leaked now and other people that, that, that at least five governments with a 99% surety had access to her server. And they've also found classified materials on her server, which she claims she didn't have. Um, you know, like I said, if I had been Donald Trump, I would have replayed that, that video that has Hillary Clinton stating something and James Comey stating what they found in their investigation back to back um, over and over again throughout his campaign. I would I'd still be playing that over and over again right now because Hillary basically is willing to lie outright in public about what she did with that server and make claims, you know, that she, you know, she didn't the only emails she handed over all her work emails and then they james comey actually said they actually discovered multiple email you know 1400 emails she didn't hand over and that the way they discovered them was on other people's emails that didn't get deleted you know the the recipients or people that were copied was the way they found them on other servers 
but they had just, you know, the Clinton people had deleted them and destroyed them. Not just deleted them, but destroyed them. Because you have to understand with um, computers, just deleting something doesn't get rid of it. All that does is remove uh, the addressing where, where it makes it easy for your computer to find it. It's still on your hard drive somewhere. And with the proper um, software and everything, you can recover deleted items from a hard drive as, as long as they haven't been written over. Um, not necessarily an easy thing to do, but really you, there is an ability to do it. Her staff actually went through the trouble of not only having deleted, but actually destroying hard drives or using a, a product called bleach, which goes beyond just um, removing uh, address, you know, addressing information, but actually um, write, it, it basically writes over and, and, and deletes all data off of a hard drive. Um, not something easy to do. Yet, with all that, this, you know, after Bill Clinton gets on a, an airplane on the tarmac with our attorney general, they choose not to follow through with a criminal charges on Hillary. Anybody else, in fact, a four-star general had to plead guilty recently to violating um, security protocols because he shared some emails um, with an autobiographer. You know, it, it, it's, you know, the fact that she could get away with that and she's not in jail just for the security breaches that she did um, and, and how she lied about those security breaches amazes me. But ultimately, I think she's going to end up um, indicted over the whole Clinton Foundation and, and the pay for play. So our choices now for president are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And as I sat there with my ballot in front of me, and my wife and I are in the room, and you know, my wife has no love for Donald Trump after having worked for Charles Street Graphics. And we're sitting there thinking to ourselves, what do we do? What do we do? How do we fill out this ballot? You know, I, I just can't, you know, it, it was such a difficult decision as to whether we just left the presidential race blank, wrote in somebody, um, what to do. And then the only thought that could come into my head was Hillary Clinton appointing Supreme Court justices. And if you go back to that last debate when they were asked about Supreme Court justices, where uh, Donald Trump talked about the Constitution and you know having judges that were you know going to look to the Constitution and everything, Hillary's description of who she wanted to appoint in no time during her entire two-minute and something response did she even mention the word Constitution. At no time did she mention it as, as being a qualifying factor that she would weigh in appointing Supreme Court justices. And that, to me, is probably the scariest thing as somebody that is very much a, a, a constructionist and a constitutional libertarian. Um, I want Supreme Court justices that are going to protect our Constitution and make their decisions based on our Constitution not pulling from some foreign law somewhere or inventing some rule that, that um, requiring somebody to pay a fine because they don't buy something is actually a tax and not forcing them to buy something, um, as Justice Roberts did with the Affordable Care Act. I'm looking for the next Antonin Scalia's and the next, um, you know, some of these, you know, strict constitutionalists that are going to actually um, be the balance in in our our three you know our our triumvirate of balance of powers that we have in this country, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial branch. And unfortunately, more recently, the judicial branch has turned themselves into legislators, and we don't need another legislative branch. We need a judicial branch that's going to actually look at laws and say. This is constitutional. That's const not constitutional. <clears throat> and not worry about um, 
outside pressure, um, trying to make law, things up so they can justify a law that they like, um, it, it's going to be, is it constitutional or isn't it? And there's no way in hell that something that requires an American citizen to purchase a product is constitutional as the Affordable Care Act was deemed to be. So with that in the balance, and I, as I was sitting there looking at my ballot, I had to grit my teeth, um, wash my mouth out with soap, um, take a, a, a hot steaming shower and, and fill in the bubble for Donald Trump. Um, it, it was probably one of the, the, the most bothersome votes I've ever taken in my life. Um, and, and one I'm not going to be proud that I did. I can't say I voted for Donald Trump as much as I can say I voted against Hillary Clinton. Um, and that's really what it came down to me. So I'd be kind of interested to hear what maybe some of the other folks thought of the presidential election this year so far, as you know, we get to vote early here in, in Oregon, if you're listening from outside, because we have mail-in ballots, and I'm going to be out of town all this weekend, and I'll get back till late Monday night. I was concerned about not getting my ballot in on time and all that, so I got it done yesterday before flying out um, uh, tomorrow. Uh, but you can call in at 646-721-9887 and just press 1 if you want to join in on the conversation. Um, or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Just curious how you're looking at this presidential race. Uh, are, you know, were you a Trump supporter from the beginning? Kind of like to understand why. Um, you know, what, what drew you to him? Are you a Hillary supporter? Uh, you know, tell me I'm absolutely wrong that she's not the most crooked uh, vile, two-faced, uh, duplicitous politician that's ever walked on the political stage since Richard Milhouse Nixon. Um, and, and I actually think Nixon was honest in comparison to Hillary Clinton. Um, it just, um, actually, she's probably more crooked than President Johnson, who was also one of the most crooked presidents we've ever had. Um, once you read about some of the money that used to come into his office in briefcases and get left behind <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I'd be interested to hear from folks about that. And then we can get down to some of the Oregon uh, politics. Uh, it was pretty easy for me to fill out my ballot there. Um, I can't really support Kate Brown. Um, watched her use the Secretary of State's office, fairly partisan, um, when she was there, she's done almost nothing to fix the uh, the transparency issues that uh, led to Kitzhopper being um, disgraced and, and leaving office. Uh, she claims to have done stuff for transparency, but it's really been uh, window washing at best. Um, our public records laws in Oregon have, you know, so many exemptions to them, it's not funny. Uh, and uh, the worst violators of the public records request is the actual state. They hold the local governments to a much higher standard when it comes to public records requests. Um, the state can turn down public records requests for almost any reason they feel like, because they've written the exempt the legislatures written exemptions all to benefit state agencies. Uh, but woe be to you if you're a local government like Lane County or the city of Eugene or school district, and you violate those you know, public record requests and try not to, to answer people, um, you'd end up uh, on the short end of the stick in a hurry. So, you know, looking at Kate Brown um, or, or the doc, um, I chose the doc, even though he doesn't have a lot of experience. I got to meet him, Marine, uh, former Marine, uh, a really excellent uh, um, cancer doctor, uh, developed a practice, has run a practice, so he's run a business, um, deals with people on a daily basis in some of the most tough and anxious situations. And you think about, you know, there's a, there are a few professions where you always are dealing with people in stress. Um, police officers are one. They never usually get 
to talk to the public unless this, the public's either having just committed a crime and they're and they're adversarial that way, or they were victims of a crime and are upset in that way, or a car accident, whatever, or in physical danger in some way. Everyone they deal with is in a heightened stress mode that they have to deal with. Imagine being a cancer doctor is not too different. Everyone that you're talking to has probably gone first to their primary care folks and got referred to you. You're running the test. You get to sit down in the room with them. You think those people are not like keyed up on adrenaline and and anxious and all that. And he has, you know, developed a demeanor and and way of dealing with people. When I met him and listened to him talk, that is a really refreshing. Um, way of dealing with people. So that's who I, I voted for for governor, secretary of state. I've known Dennis Richardson since he ran for the state house before he ever held elective office there um, because we went through campaign school together. Um, I went through as a um, vice chair of, a, of the local Republican Party because I was going to, to coach local candidates on how to run for office. So they let me go through the legislative campaign school and Dennis was in it that year and I was impressed with how intelligent that man is and the brain he's got and I'm saying this as somebody that's got an engineering degree and is sort of known as a wonk and, and, a, and the, 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 the guy that knows the numbers on the board of commissioners uh, Dennis is my equal when it comes to that, he, you know, when it comes to budget numbers or looking into the details of a policy and understanding how it's going to impact and looking at every, all the un, unintended consequences, he's the kind of person that can do all those analysis and, and make a decision based on really good logical um, forethought and understanding the issues really well. Um, so as Secretary of State, as he's run for the office, he's not promising to do anything that's outside the powers of the Secretary of State, unlike Brad Avakian that is talking about using the audit division of the Secretary of State to audit private businesses, which he has absolutely no legal authority to do, but he's promising to do because it sounds great for all the folks in Portland that he's going to go after these mean, evil businessmen. Um, and, you know, no different than when he was at, at the... Uh, Secretary of Labor and, and uh, running the Labor Department, State of Oregon, and how he went after employers um, in, in that way. So I, I no way I can support Brad Bakken. So Dennis Richardson was my choice for Secretary of State, um, and you know, I think he'll be a really good Secretary of State. And from what I what I can understand in the polling, I do believe he may actually be our next Secretary of State and our first statewide Republican office holder in a good over 20 years. Uh, it may be closer to 30. And so he'll break a trend in Oregon um, that goes back, I think, to Jack Roberts um, being labor commissioner uh, quite a long time ago. Um, so that's kind of where the, the, the big statewide races came down for me. Of course, looking at the Senate and the uh, um, U.S. Senate and U.S. State representative, U.S. Uh, representatives here. I'm in the fourth congressional district with Peter DeFazio and uh, Ron Wyden running again. I, you know, I can't vote for Ron Wyden, our senator from New York, but Mark Callahan, who I don't know how he survived the primary and ended up being the, the Republican nominee. Um, I've known him since he first started running for some local offices, and the guy has is not mentally stable. Um, and I don't know how he got elected to run against Ron Wyden, but there's no way I could put that guy in office or dog catcher. Um, so I voted for the Libertarian in that race. And looking at uh, the 4th Congressional District, you know, I know Art Robinson. I campaigned with him the first time I ran for uh, county commissioner. It was his first time he was running against uh, uh, Peter DeFazio. At that time, I supported him. I even supported him the second time. Third time, uh, not really. Fourth time, I voted for the Libertarian. Uh, <laughs> the Republican Party in Oregon's got to learn to recruit and nominate better candidates. And 
those were both protest votes on my part um, to kind of say, you guys need to get your, your crap together. Um, there were some good candidates um, running in both those races, and, and they didn't come to get to fruition. Gets down to some of the ballot measures in the state of Oregon. Um, basically voted no on almost everything. Because <laughs> um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Some of these things where they want to dedicate money from lottery funds or, or force the legislature to allocate money, I hate uh, initiatives like that because it's basically taking flexibility away from um, the people that are doing the budgets. If you don't like the budgets, elect different legislators. Don't pass laws that dedicate funding. Um, it just it, it's not the way you should we should be doing things. So. Generally, when it came to those choices, it was a no. University of Oregon wants to be able to play in the stock market, no, you know? And the big one, Measure 97, absolutely no. Um, I do not want a gross receipts tax. Um, we've talked about it before, it's a hidden tax. It's ultimately a sales tax um, and it will you know, we just had news here that a big corporation has decided not to build a factory here in Oregon in Lane County. Could be for several business reasons, but we suspect not the least of which was all that a union has to do in Oregon is circulate something for signatures to put a corporate tax on the ballot that might pass. And if, unfortunately, they probably overreached a little bit with Measure 97 and it's not going to pass. But what's to say they're not going to come back with a 1% um, gross receipts tax or a value-added tax or some, or some other corporate taxation? And if I was Broadcom and whoever recently purchased them, I can't remember the name of the company, uh, looking at do I invest in Oregon or do I invest somewhere else, I invest somewhere else knowing that that is the atmosphere in Oregon, not to mention that we just did that big minimum wage increase past sick leave laws, and our governor is now looking at trying to regulate all sorts of air toxics that are beyond what the EPA regulates. Um, it's not a great environment for bringing a manufacturing industry into Oregon. So I voted no on Measure 97, and uh, that's about, that's my rundown of the ballot. So I'd be curious to hear about some of your choices ballot-wise, and you can Get in on the conversation by calling 646-721-9887. And you can just press one if you want to join in on the conversation. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And, um, you know, you can even do that between uh, broadcasts. If you have a suggestion or you want to comment on something we said in a previous broadcast, got a guest, you want to be a guest on the Bose Nose Show, feel free to, to suggest yourself as a guest if you have something you want to talk about on the air. Um, it's one of the few places, you know, when I have a guest on, it's an hour show without commercial interruption that the conversation, um, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, there is probably no other place that you can, you know, then, you know, link to that on the internet and push it out where you're going to get that kind of an opportunity to express your views um, doesn't mean I won't challenge you here and there, um, but I'm, I, I, I usually start most interviews off in a pretty friendly way and give you a perfect opportunity to, to express your point of view and, and or to promote your organization, whatever it is. Um, you know, being a guest on the Bose Nose Show is a pretty unique opportunity. Uh, not many places do you get a full hour of uninterrupted conversation. When you get to be a guest on a radio show, you usually get a five to ten minute slot. Um, you come in off, off of the, after a commercial break and you, you get cut off before the next one, or you might get held over through a commercial break and get two, two segments on air, and that's it. So um, this is your golden opportunity if you're, if you're wanting to be on, on a radio show and, and something that is linkable as a podcast and archived um, that you can provide a link out onto your websites and, and promote out into the internet and, and through uh, YouTube and iTunes um, and 
have a whole hour. So if you want to be a guest, drop us an email at talk at krbnradio.net or just call us right now because we have no one in the queue and we'll just keep you on and, and, and as long as we're getting along and making sense and you're being polite, uh, you can talk the rest of the show just about. And the number is 646-721-9887 to get in on just press one. And uh, the news this week, there's been other things that have come up. Um, You know, I know I've kind of gotten into uh, um, all sorts of things with the election, and that was kind of my topic for the day. But there's been a few other things going on here in Lane County not the least of which was talking about banning tobacco and smoking, any sort of tobacco use, in Lane County Parks. Um, and that got to be pretty controversial last Tuesday. The, the couple members of the board that really are pushing for it um, forced the issue by uh, moving to move the ban ahead and seconding it and then not being willing to amend it or pull it off the table. And it went down on a 3-2 vote. Um, And uh, Commissioner Lichen and I were were definitely against it. Commissioner Stewart probably would have been for it if they would have let it wait for a week or so and, and drafted some additional language around religious exemptions for Native Americans and possibly lifting the not applying the ban to campsite areas, which probably would have brought even Commissioner Lichen into the fold if they lifted the ban in campsite areas. But, you know, Lane County Park System is not a city park system. Uh, you know, they've banned smoking in some city parks around here, like locally here in Benita. Most of the parks and city park systems are playgrounds and ball fields. Um, and that's kind of not really the greatest environment to have people smoking anyway. You can't get away from somebody on the sideline of your kid's soccer game that decides to light up a cigarette. Um, And it's kind of just, you know, there's a a lot of youth environment there. Lane County parks are boat ramps, marinas, campgrounds, natural areas that are thousands of acres in sight size like Mount Pisgah with hiking trails and and where you can actually not see somebody for over an hour out on the hiking trails. And the idea of of secondhand smoke being bothersome in almost every one of our parks because it has a lot of camping or picnic grounds, have barbecue grills in the open air um, just boggles my mind that that's even being attempted to be controlled. Not to mention that, um, you know, the part of our population that most heavily smokes are disproportionately is low-income people and veterans. And to me, it seems like it's going to discourage those people from utilizing our park system. And and, uh, I just really didn't feel it's the right thing to do and really dislike the idea of trying to be that controlling. There are other anti-smoking efforts and laws we could pass that actually show they're effective. The one thing I was bothered by was I have yet to see somebody provide me an objective scientific study that shows open-air smoking bans actually reduce smoking rates in adults and smoking initiation in juveniles. None of the studies that they tried to kind of sort of halfway reference with footnotes um, that our health department put together actually were purely open air smoking bans. They were usually uh, campus smoking bans at workplaces that also included the outside areas, but it was really about not smoking, non-smoking workplaces that was had, had impact on adult smoking to some degree no impact on juvenile smoking that is shown in those studies. Um, there are other things we could do and, and things that probably will, would raise people's eyebrows a little bit, but I'm supportive of raising the legal age of smoking to 21 uh, in a phased in um, 
way so that we don't make somebody that's already addicted that's 18 automatically um, not be able to buy what they're addicted to, you know, where you would have it, the age limit phase in over three years. Um, but that would do more to prevent smoking initiation of youth than any other thing we can do. Any other um, you know, objective data that's shown uh, increasing the price of cigarettes through taxation has some impact on youth smoking. But the single biggest impact we could make would be to raise the age of purchase to 21, which we kind of realized was what we needed to do with alcohol, and that's why you can't get alcohol till you're 21. And when we decided to legalize uh, recreational marijuana here in the state of Oregon, we made that 21 because we understood that most under 18 folks get their illegal, you know, what's illegal for them to have from their friends and siblings that are between 18 and 21. 18 to 20, I should say. Um, once, you know, once most older brothers get up to age 21, they generally are not going to provide a 17-year-old with alcohol or, or tobacco products, um, let alone a 15-year-old, because they've kind of gotten old enough and wise enough to realize they go to jail for that. <laughs> Whereas the 19-year-old's still pretty stupid, and he actually might be hitting on that 17-year-old girl um, so he's willing to supply her with tobacco or liquor or whatever else. Um, so raising the age to 21 is a really effective way of preventing youth smoking, which in the long run prevents adult smoking because the longer you wait um, to try tobacco products, the least likely you are to ever smoke them. Um, statistically shown, if you don't try them by age 25, you probably never will. Um, and every you know every year after age uh, 15 that you don't initiate smoking, the the percentage that you will never become an adult smoker um, it goes down. So you know that's that's where I would focus with tobacco policies and get away from this idea of, of open air bans um, and making our open spaces unwelcome to a. a, a minority, an unpopular minority of our population that just happens to be addicted to what is still a legal product in the U.S. And uh, I just have a real problem with that. So we can talk about tobacco. Um, we can talk about election politics. We can talk about whatever you want because it is a free-for-all show today. Um, and if you call in, you can take it whatever direction you want to go. And the number is 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the show. And uh, we'll, we'll get you in, and, and uh, we can talk all sorts of politics. Um, or we can talk all sorts of local stuff. Because um, I guarantee you there's more than enough local stuff to talk about. We can talk about courthouse. We can talk about the deeds on, on the uh, butterfly lot uh, and all that good stuff. Um, we submitted our, our, um, our legal counsel submitted all our research on the deeds uh, yes, uh, Tuesday, so they're now public record. And I can tell you one of the things that hasn't been really well um, acknowledged in public is the deed everybody refers to as having the restrictions about the butterfly lot only being used for the courts was actually the second deed recorded for that lot. And it was recorded by accident. It was, it was initially proposed as a deed for that lot and rejected by the county court at the time um, and set aside and left in, literally left in the pigeonhole of an old desk. Um, and the, real, the first deed was recorded uh, 20 years earlier that had no restrictions involved, and uh, the, the other deed got found in this pigeonhole 18 years later, and someone goes, oh, here's a signed deed and, and, and all that. It, that. it should have been recorded, and they recorded it without thinking about it, and it was the one that gets found in title searches because it's the most recently recorded one, but when you look at the history of it and you look at the actual testimonies, of the county court, the county judge at the time, 
you know, talking where he actually had an affidavit about how that got mistakenly recorded, uh, it's really clear that the first deed is what applies and it doesn't have the restrictions in it that the second deed had. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It is going to be the judge that makes the rulings on that, but I'm pretty sure um, that we'll find that there is no prior restrictions and it's not any dirty deal we're trying to do with the, the against the Skinners or anything like that. It was what was originally agreed to and this and the, the quote restrictions everybody believes were on that lot weren't even were were, were mistakenly recorded. Um, and, and, you know that's just kind of the way um, things weren't weren't exactly uh, run as, as as firmly in those days. In fact, it was kind of a, a running joke among surveyors here as I was doing a lot of land development work. The reason a lot a lot of uh, deeds don't um, match up to, you know, where there's gaps between properties or they overlap and you've got to resolve these conflicts between uh, one deed and another deed is a lot of uh, land surveying work back when they were first dividing up Oregon in donation land claims um, that people could make in the state. A lot of the surveying work was done in a bar room, not out in the field where the surveyors would write the survey (laughs) up in a bar. They would just make up some of the descriptions and all that stuff. They didn't actually go out on the ground and survey. And, um, and, and that was kind of the how you can imagine in that environment how a deed could accidentally get recorded that had actually been rejected by the county court in the first place. Um, but that's, you know, that was the 1800s. <laughs> so... Uh, Getting close to the end of the show here, got about uh, eight or nine minutes left. And if you want to get in on the conversation again, 646-721-9887, just press one. And we can talk about whatever you want. And, you know, I did mention Broadcom uh, leaving Eugene and announcing they're going to sell the Hynix factory. And I do have to be clear, I have no uh, inside knowledge. We haven't been told they gave absolutely no reason for their decision. They just announced they were going to be selling the plant, and that was it. They didn't explain anything to local governments. Um, it's disappointing to us that they did so. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that's really the, the truth of the matter. Um, I don't know it was Measure 97, that's conjecture. Um, there's a lot of conjecture that it's about the company that purchased them is not as much into mobile phones and selling hardware as they are into cloud service and selling and, and providing the equipment and space for cloud services. Um, it's I've heard it, it could be tied to the Samsung Galaxy Note exploding in people's pockets and, and how that's, you know, the, the, the Avago Broadcom folks their niche and what they were planning to produce here is a chip that actually is used in cell phones, um, has nothing to do with the batteries, but it's what chooses the frequency uh, to match up with a cell tower when you get ready to call. And it's kind of this frequency jumping chip um, that's kind of universal and used in both Apple devices, Samsung devices, you, you name it, almost every company uses their, uh, some, you know, their chip or another one, but it's it's a piece of equipment that in that phone that actually allows the phone to communicate with the cell tower and choose, you know find the frequency that's free and, and connect with the tower and you know keep you keep you in contact with those towers as you move around and jump from tower to tower. That's their niche is that piece of hardware and software. Um, and that's what they were going to be producing here. So cell phone sales dropped off with the Samsung Galaxy Note problems, um, and the and the the Apple Seven not being as strong as they initially thought until the Galaxy started burning up. Um, that may be part of the um, the issue with the uh, with the selling of the Hynix property. I hope we hear a better explanation later and they tell us um, some of their reasons, because if there were reasons, um, 
about Oregon policy or local policy or if there is a local issue. It'd be great to know about that so we can fix it for the next people we try and recruit into that um, space. But we will keep trying to recruit um, high-paying jobs into the Lane County area. It's one of our board's uh, priorities that we all agree upon um, to try and find family wage employers um, and encourage family wage employment in Lane County. In fact, um, you know, we, you know, one of the few things we get unanimous votes on in the board is when it comes to some of these economic development things and granting, um, uh, you know, whether it's the enterprise zone tax waiver extensions or um, other issues, um, pretty strong as a board on, on understanding that um, having our citizens employed leads to healthy citizens that are, are solving all sorts of other issues um, for for the community um, and not not necessarily having people that we need to provide services for. So whether it's the liberal members of our board or the middle of the road folks or the, the more right wing folks, we all kind of are on the economic development bandwagon and getting um, Avago um, Broadcom folks, uh, somebody to replace them in the Hynix factory will be a priority for all of us um, and probably the city of Eugene uh, as we work together. So, um, that's kind of the, the real story behind that is that we don't know why they, they're leaving the community. Uh, hopefully they'll tell us sometime in the future, but you know, it's one of those things also about being a publicly traded company, they have to be careful about how they release information because they can get in trouble with the Security and Exchange Commission if they, uh, you know, and, and all that good stuff about releasing information um, and, and how that might affect stock values one way or the other. So, reaching the end here, uh, I've been talking this whole time, really wish I could get somebody else um, and get their opinion on the on the election. So maybe I'll, I'll ask Robin to chime in. Hello. So were you struggling with the presidential election as much as I did? Well, like I said, it's, uh, to be honest, there could, there's not going to be any perfect candidate, and everybody has their reasons, but uh, unfortunately, you know, there's only, it's a binary system, and even if you like a third party, you know, like even when Ross Perot, Perot ran, which I really liked Ross Perot, but our current electoral system, there was no way that he would get elected. In fact, he got zero electoral votes. So we're kind of stuck with, uh, you know, with the two that make it through the parties, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it, as you look, and it's one of the reasons why I'm not a libertarian, big L libertarian anymore, is I realized I needed to be in the one of the two major parties and the one I felt like I could influence the most towards my principles and point of view. And, you know, it's difficult that the Democrats have now turn towards socialism, which they weren't always. I mean, you listen to the speeches and and he was definitely a capitalist. Um, but uh, being more socialistic, it's very difficult to be libertarian and socialist um, because we're about individual rights, not, um, not the community over the individual. Uh, so the Republican Party tends to be more for individuals, just trying to keep them from legislating morality is the difficult part. Uh, exactly. Remember the free Obama. Yeah, so, yeah, so I imagine it's tough, but yeah, no one's perfect. But I, in the end, I had to vote for the person that I hope gets good advice and, and will pick better uh, Supreme Court nominees than the other one. Uh, so... As we're getting towards the end here of the Bose Nose Show, maybe next time we'll hear from everybody about the election. Well, the next time I'm on, it'll be, the election will be over, and we'll be able to talk about why somebody won and why somebody didn't, and uh, whether we're disappointed or happy or sad, or whether we're just kind of like I was telling the folks down in Costa Rica. The bad part about this election is somebody's going to win it. Yeah, real quick, what I feel sad about that. Those people that need uh, 
Wall is going to be disappointed if he gets elected. Yep. All right. Well, right on the end of the Bo's Nose Show, thank you for listening if you did. And we'll be back next week uh, on a regular time, Wednesday at 4 o'clock for the Bo's Nose Show. We'll be talking to you later. Good evening from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Have a great night, and thank you for listening. <laughs>